Welcome to another brand new episode of the Ninja Tune Podcast. My name's Dexter, I'll be your host, and this time I'm delighted to be joined by Strictly Kev from DJ Food, who's going to be having a chat to me about his new album, The Search Engine. We're going to be hearing tracks from the album too, and we're also going to be listening to some of his influences. As usual, we'll follow that with some new music coming out of the Ninja Tune stable, so please stay tuned for that too. Like watching Falling Stars. In the galaxy you've never been Another episode of the Ninchun podcast. I'm lucky enough to have gone on an excursion at this time, and uh, I'm down in East Dulwich, and I'm here to talk to Strictly Kev, DJ Food, about his new record. Hello, thanks very much for having me. My pleasure. Um, it's been 11 years since the last <laughs> DJ Food album. Did you always know that there was going to be another one? Yeah, no, there was always going to be another one. It was just getting round to it because uh, various things got in the way, like. Uh, having a family, moving house, designing full-time for Ninja, as in the graphic side of things, DJing around the world, uh, mix CDs with DK and PC, the Solid Steel Club that we used to do, uh, a million other things. And you can only fit so many things into every hour of the day, and something had to give, and the music gave. And then it became increasingly harder to kind of get myself into the position to, to do it but then around end of 2008 I was ready. Uh, DK and I also uh, got into video and the AV scene on, in 2008 and spent most of that year basically learning how to VJ and add video to our uh, DJ sets and that came to a head at the end of September 2008 and then it was you know preparing for a start in 2009 basically. It's only actually taken about 18 months to make the album, the whole of 2009 and the first six months of 2011. 2010 kind of went to the dogs because of the Ninja Tune XX, the 20th anniversary book, box set, world tour, you know, etc, etc. And there was just no way it was going to be finished then. And, and probably just as well because it would have got lost in, in a month. It seems to have um, quite a different sound from that that went before. And would, would you say it's a record that you've always wanted to make personally? Yeah, is it maybe a bit more of a, of a Strictly Kev album than what's gone before? It is, because it's technically my first solo record in some ways. It's the album I always wanted to make 
well, the album I was always going to make. <laughs> uh, it's probably changed a little from maybe if I'd have made it five years ago, but not that much. There's a lot still going back to Kaleidoscope. There's collaborations with people on it that I've had in place for well over five years, if not longer. Um, there's still collaborations that I haven't called in that will be on the next record as well that have been in the works for a long time. Um, yeah, it's, it's come out exactly as I wanted it. It's actually come out better than I anticipated. And the only thing I could say that wouldn't have been on it if I'd have made it five years ago would possibly be the Second Class Citizen collaboration because I wasn't aware of him five years ago, you know, but all the other vocalists and, and people like that, they were, they were always on the list. There was a big, I made a big list around 2001, 2002 of who I wanted to collaborate with, to have have remix it, to mix it, um, to, to do artwork with, things I wanted to do with formats and packaging and all that sort of stuff. And whilst I didn't do a lot of those, or some people kind of got struck off the list, um, I still did a fair few. Well, one of the people that did remain on your list is, um, I'm not sure, you'll probably know better than me if this is a pop music first, somebody covering their own record with a different band. Yeah, that is a bit of a weird one. I did, I did note that when it when it kind of came into being. Matt Johnson from the, the um, yeah, I always wanted to work with him. I'm sure people must have covered their own records with some other band. I mean, surely Bowie's done it or someone like that, or Jagger mm. or someone like that. But yeah, I, I, I certainly Matt Johnson's. I don't think ever covered. No, actually, he has covered himself with JG Thurwell, who's the, one of the other collaborators on my album for a very obscure um, Meltdown Festival performance many, many years ago, before I actually knew him probably. How did, how did that come to happen? Was that purely, you know, your fantasy list being written in 2001? Absolutely, yeah. Well, actually, no, way before 2001, you know, because I, I, I'd been a fan of his and those music since the late 80s. And um, I think I met him in 2003, I can't remember exactly how and why, but we got in contact and I wanted to do something with him and he was cool with that and we met to talk it over and we were going to do a spoken word project based around um, uh, an E.B. White story, uh, the writer who wrote Charlotte's Web, but he actually wrote a lot of other short stories. That never happened because of legal copyright reasons. Anyway, he was going to do a spoken word thing, I was going to do the music. And then that got put to the side, and then he has this project called The Others, which is a, is a covers of the, the by other bands compilation that he's been putting together for years. And said, did I want to contribute to that? Yeah, great. What do you want to do? Giant, fabulous, let's do it. Um, who's going to sing it? <laughs> so, uh, and I said, well, I want to do a track with you. You want me to do this? Why don't we, you know, why don't you sing your own song? It'll be easy, you know all the words. Like, uh, but and then again, he he works slower than I do. That took about. I actually took four years from. It was the first track I started, and I didn't work on it for four years, obviously. But it's um, probably the first thing I did for the album, and it was one of the last things to be finished, and the last vocal to come in. And I could not be happier with it. I'm sure I'm going to be crucified by some of the other fans, but. I'm a the, the fan too, so... And yeah, I'm, and the vocal take is unbelievable. Yeah, well, he was 22 when he sang it first in 1983, and he's 50 now, so, you know, yeah. he's going to have improved somewhat, hopefully. Yeah. And, yeah, and he sang all the backing vocals as well, which sound like female, but mm. they're actually in, in high register. And, uh, yeah, it's phenomenal. It's absolutely yeah. phenomenal. There'll be these pockets of light springing up in different parts of the world. These will be invisible planets on this planet. And that as we or the world grow colder, we can take invisible space journeys to these different planets, refuel, and come back. We're talking about an underground. And the purpose of this underground is to find out how to preserve the light, life, the culture, how to keep things living.
So um, when you're putting a song together, do you, you know, there, there are samples throughout the album, and mm. do you collect them or collate them? How does it? How do you go about it? And I noticed quite a few of them start with, you know, spoken word bits at the start of the song. Is that? Is that the starting point? Do you begin with that and build a song from there, or do you have the music and find a way to introduce it? They're always different. They're always different. Um, sometimes I'll have a title of a track from a sample. Colours Beyond Colours, for instance, starts off the sample. And when I looked at the man far away, I could, I could see uh, Colours Beyond Colours. And that informed the title, and I knew that I wanted to do something very beautiful very lush and very sort of calming because the sample was almost guru-like. I'm not even sure exactly where it comes from. Um, uh, so in that way, I, I had it's a very simple track and I, I found some strings from somewhere and I just, you know, they, they went together so beautifully with several other elements as well. Um, but then, then sometimes there'll just be a, a drum sample that I'll definitely want to use on something and I'll build a song around the drum. A few times I'll put a lot of things together and they just won't work and half of the art of it is actually collaging samples without the joins showing. Several of the songs um, seem to have visual themes, the samples within them seem to have visual themes. Is that a nod to the other side of what you do? It's not consciously a nod, it's to do with some of it harks back to kaleidoscope, colours in sound, colours in music, colours in general. Obviously, I'm graphically trained and that's part of my everyday to day thing, so I'm interested in that. But more often than not, I'd like samples that sort of turn things on their heads. There's a sample that says, um, have you ever heard the sun? And uh, there's a few of them like that. Yeah, I began to feel the music with my body, with my pores. And I, I just like those images. It's it's very it's very. I mean, it's kind of cliche, but it's kind of trippy. And I like I like music that takes you out of the everyday. I like um, music that gives you a different experience. You know, that when you listen to it on your own or in headphones, which is very much how this record's made. Really, is it it takes you somewhere else. And for me, you know, the face. The phrase keeping it real in hip hop is just, uh, it just makes me despair really because I don't want to keep it real. I, I, every, every, the everyday reality is dull and depressing and, and all the rest of it and music for me takes me out of that and it takes me away to somewhere else and that's the kind of music I kind of like to make. I mentioned earlier that um, that this is probably your most strictly Kev album that you've made so far. Is there is there a point where Kev ends and DJ Food begins? Do you put a DJ Food hat on when you start to make an album? It's a weird thing. It's in name only, really, isn't mm. it? I mean, because when yeah, Food when it started was completely different with Matt yeah. and John's involvement and PC's involvement. And uh, sometimes I wondered, should I chuck the name away? Should I get rid of it? Should I start fresh? You know. But the thing is, um, you know, it comes down to there's 20 years of rep there. It'd be crazy to throw that away. Yeah, and, and artists change in 20 years. What artist doesn't change? The artist that doesn't change in 20 years is a boring artist, in my in my um, opinion. But I suppose I just make the music I I make. You know, whether it's under DJ, I know it's going to be under the DJ Food moniker. You could say this is the strictly care of DJ Food. Maybe that will—that's how history will see it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I kind of think of it as the Mark Three of DJ Food, with the, the first Mark One being Jazz Breaks One to Five, Mark Two being Recipe Disaster and Kaleidoscope. You know, we're more involved in PC as well, and then the rest of it, me, Mark Three. <laughs> um, so I, I can't really interview you without talking about your other sort of creative angles and the, the work that you have done in the intervening 
10, 11 years, yeah. depending on uh, how exactly that works out. Um, so your other strand is as an artist and graphic designer. Um, first of all, I would like to doff my cap to you for uh, for creating the Ninja Tune logo. Indeed, yes. Which is a, a definite historical mark. It is actually, in terms of, we've tried to change it so many times, or I've tried to change it for various different things and adapt it, and it doesn't really work. It's so strong as itself. Um, you know, you, it works just as the eyes. You can see the eyes on black and you still know it's ninja. Mm. You can boil it down to the head. You know, you don't even have to have a body and arms and record throwing or anything like that. And it works really simply. Beyond that particular uh, image that you made, you've created vast amounts of artwork. Um, and you know, obviously you've done massive works on the Ninja XX and all of this. Um, does the artwork take primacy for you or is it music or are the two you know, totally hand in glove? It's like a scale basically. Once I get bored of one, it'll swing back and I'll do a bit more of the other. Generally it's dictated by what's got to be done. And certainly for the first five years of the last decade, there was so much artwork to do in Ninja, and that's certainly throughout the 90s as well. Um, I could just spend all day doing that. Is, is designing for purely for yourself a, a different matter? You know, the, the visual aspects of this particular album and the title, I guess. Yeah. How did you come up with all of that? And yeah, was it? A, is it a different thing inherently to do it for your own thing? Very difficult to design your own record. Possibly the hardest project because it's literally a blank canvas. You know, it's, there's no brief except your own. And what do you look like? What do you want to look like? What do you want the public? How do you want them to perceive you? Incredibly difficult. Um, I've been a fan of Henry Flint for many, many years through his work on 2000 AD um, and I was lucky enough to buy a fair amount of his original art I mean, a few years ago and he, directly from him and he uh, included a lot of postcards from a little exhibition he was having with his doodles and I mailed him back and said, Henry, what are these crazy drawings? Are these immensely detailed psychedelic drawings that are on these postcards? He said, these are amazing. This is exactly the sort of thing I'm thinking of for my cover. Because I wanted something quite psychedelic, very detailed, very sort of trippy almost. But he said, oh, it's just stuff I do while I'm watching TV. You know, I said, oh, can you, do you think maybe you could send me some, you know, and, and I'll, I'll colour them up and I'll, and, and I can pay you and use them for the cover. He said, yeah, great. Send me a CD of like 50 different ones to pick from, crazy, you know. No way I could use them all. And I was lucky enough to be able to cherry pick them. And they're incidentally just coming out as a book next month, um, finally. Um, they were all black and white, so I had to colour them. And I thought, this is perfect. You know, it's already made stuff here. I don't even have to commission him. And I can colour it and put my own spin on it and then put it all into some sort of form. And I, I knew I wanted something very comic-y, something very retro sci-fi, very 60s, 70s sci-fi, not Star Wars, before Star Wars. French artist Mobius, lots of the sort of dark sci-fi stuff like Westworld, Dark Star, uh, that Silent Running, Logan's mm -hmm. Run, that sort of stuff. You know, before it all went a little bit CGI and and lots of, it's almost fantasy sci-fi. Anyway, um, and that, that was just, it just worked out beyond the dream. So by the time we got to the album, because I did three EPs over the last couple of years, I had this very, very direct sort of image of this space guy floating in space and said to Henry, right, you know, this time I'm going to commission you and you do this this guy. And he just, oh, he just completely knocked it out of the park. It was just amazing when it came in through the inbox. I'm just like, oh, that is just so spot on. It's Ridiculous, you know. I just wanted him to draw a space guy, a guy in a spacesuit, hanging in space with a backpack that was so unfeasibly large. There's no way you could wear it without being in zero gravity, basically, and a load of pipes and stuff, you know, hanging down. And he just did it. 
and it was great. He's an amazingly versatile artist and very humble as well. So um, yeah, that that was the that was the genesis of that idea, and I love it. I, I look at the cover and I just can't believe it. Sometimes I just go, wow. It really fits in well with the atmosphere of the album as well. That you think so? Yeah, I think so. It really does. Like particularly like the opening of the album. It's got the really deep American voice, which I must admit I was kind of hoping I'd arrive and you to sound like. <laughs> it, That's Ken Nordine. It'd make a really good podcast. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that, you, need to, you need to ring Ken Nordine up yeah. for that. But yeah, that, I, th- I think it really chimes with the yeah. with the with the musical image because it's quite retro future in a way. I yeah. think like there's that old view of what of space and the album's quite spacious and yeah. as I say there, there are kind of quite disquieting and chilling parts of the record and like that yeah. like old sci-fi you know that, yeah. that you know isolation and kind yeah. of fear of being in space exactly well the opening line on the album is like watching falling stars in a galaxy you've never been and said with Ken Nordine's baritone it's just amazing yeah, yeah. that was very conscious opener that track mm-hmm. kind of comes in and grabs you by the balls and you know drags you into the record so uh, yeah I mean the, the cover was done very independently of the music almost you know I wasn't making the music to fit the cover or vice versa it's just they're my interests they're, my interests converge you know space sounds space visuals so I've always been into sci-fi since I was a kid I've always read comics since I was a kid like robots all that stuff everyone anyone that knows me will tell you oh yeah Kevin likes robots and it's just one of those things. Well, you know, who am I? What do I look like? What do I want people to, to see when they see my record? And that's what you see. It's part of me. Obviously, it's a very stylized, fictionalized part. The title changed. It was called Stolen Moments for many years, as far back as 2004, actually. The search engine popped up around the middle of this year, and, and it's got that slightly sci fi connection. But half of my thing is about searching and looking for things you know I do it all day consciously or not you know I'm looking for information I'm looking for records I'm looking for comics or any sort of visuals inspiration even in my work you know to sample or to to use in my graphics and we use a search engine every day all of us it was almost weird when I googled who's used this I don't think anyone had used it yet which is quite great. <laughs> See, I think it's quite possible that this is the beginning of the rest of the future now. But from now on, there'll simply be all these robots walking around, feeling nothing, thinking nothing. And that history and memory are right now being erased, and soon nobody will really remember that life existed on the planet. I just have to tell you, this is sheer fiction. Robots? Uh, I thought I was going to get in, but I didn't have a lot of ships on the ship. Listening to it, it's quite bandy. Do, do you know what you're going to do with it live? As in, sounds like it's made by a band. Yes. Uh, yes, that was my intention. Uh, in that, I kind of build up these virtual orchestras or not orchestras, virtual bands, basically with the samples. And I think, all right, I'm going to have two drummers on this and a couple of bassists and whatnot. And it's very, I'm kind of surprised at how standardised it is. Sometimes I'm like, I think, oh, I haven't got any organ here. I'll put some organ in. I need an organist, and, and you know. Um, I've got no idea how I'm going to do it live, actually. <laughs> Certainly not going to go down the live route. It's, that is a, a world of pain and poorness that I don't want to enter. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to do the DJ thing. I'm going to do the visual thing. Presumably by the time this podcast comes out, we will have announced the launch party at the Planetarium in Greenwich, uh, where I was at today, and I had a private view of the... 60 degree dome with my graphics wrapped around it which was quite mind-blowing that is going to be a very very specific event and that is my ideal thing is having people sit down and having their minds gently blown by visuals 
uh, as you recline your head back. But my DJ set's very different to my records and I kind of want to reposition where I am as a DJ a little bit and get into playing different kinds of venues and not necessarily sit-down venues, but I don't want to do too much of the club thing. I don't mind it every now and again, but you know, I want to kind of present food from now on. I haven't done the Artist Places back catalogue kind of set before, um, and I want to do a bit of that. I want to present a bit of food from back then, which some people are going to be expecting, and a bit of food from now, and a bit of food from in the middle as well. You know, Mark 1, 2 and 3 put all together, um, uh, which is what I'm in the process of doing right now, is sort of formulating a DJ set based around that, and there'll also be a, a video component to go with that. Again, tying in parts of the current album with lots of collage you can't pay. It's very difficult now because a lot of people are, are in the visual sphere and I'm very glad that I kind of jumped on board the bandwagon as far back as 2008 because I, I can do that. I can yeah. cobble together a video for a track very quickly from other sources now. I don't have to kind of think about it. I can edit and Final Cut Pro and things, but you know, the whole visual game now with performing has gone through the roof. People like Amon and DJ Shadow and Vicky Horton, all that you know, video mapping stuff. It's completely crazed. Although, but then you've got the other side of things like Kid Koala the other night where he had the whole audience sitting down with headphones on and he was playing his roads and his turntable with a few screens and some balloons. <laughs> and, and I like that, you know, I like that difference. About your influence tracks. So the first choice uh, that uh, that you've put forward for this um, is Adam and the Ants, Xerox. Yes. yes. Um, some of my choices are going to mirror Luke Vibert's here from the podcast. He yep. did actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, Xerox by Adam and the Ants was the first seven-inch I ever bought as a child. I didn't actually have a record player until I was fourteen because my dad was a tape man, cassette man, and wouldn't have records in the house. And you know, by the time I was fourteen, I'd get my money. I actually bought records before I had a turntable. And the first one I did buy was Xerox Machine. I was on Do It Records. And I was such a massive Adam and the Ants fan in 1981. I mean, there wasn't another pop star to really be into if you were a teenager then. And I wasn't until I was only 10. But that, and that record still to this day gives me goosebumps. It's just, it's classic. It's a bit punk, but it's cleverer than punk, you know? And it's just got energy and... And I love Adam Ant, you know, for all his faults. Um, you know, great vocalist, intelligent lyricist. Obviously, got a very keen eye for his image, visual image as well. And I love it. I think you'll uh, hear a bit of that. So this is Xerox Machine by Adam Ant.
Ants here, Rocks Machine, and uh, we're going to talk a bit now about your second choice, is Kraftwerk. The Masters. <laughs> Possibly numbers, pocket calculator and Tour de France is the peak of Kraftwerk for me. The computer album is flawless from beginning to end, and numbers is for me the highlight, because the beats on it is ridiculous. Just so ahead of their time, so simple. I've got a big thing about Kraftwerk and I do some regular mixes called the Kraftwerk Cover Collection where I bring together covers versions of Kraftwerk, things that have heavily sampled Kraftwerk or people who've obviously been so blatantly influenced by them, they've copied them on their songs. Um, and uh, it's just an endless stream. You would not believe the sort of breadth of people that have covered you, I mean, obviously there's a lot of electro and techno covers but there are folk covers and country and western covers and acoustic covers and and all sorts of things and it there's such easy records to sort of cover the melodies are simple and direct and they're just they're, they're just the masters there's not really much more to say no they're not it's perfection mm. I mean they haven't done anything of any great interest for many many years <laughs> and the new stuff is very derivative of the old stuff but until Computer World, they were flawless. Work with numbers on the Ninja G podcast, and uh, your next choice, Brian Eno and David Byrne, My Life in the Bush of Ghosts. You can pick which particular bit will portray it best. Yes, I have no idea what track to do. I mean, that album exists as a whole for me. I rarely listen to one track from the album, and if I'm going to listen to it, I'll put the whole thing on. And for me, when I listen to that, I almost, you know, I'm transported to another world. It doesn't have to be an alien world or, or a place. It's an undiscovered civilization, which is something that they were intending to do, this sort of forged anthropology they were calling it, I think, at the time. They wanted to sort of make the music of undiscovered tribes and things like that. And it's such a sci-fi record, but it's so weird. It exists in its own little place and time. There are a few things around that time that are like it. Obviously, the Talking Head stuff that, that Burn did, um, that Eno did with Burn, and some stuff that Material did around that time, Bill Laswell. But there's really nothing that came came after it that bettered it. It really is just a phenomenal piece of work, and uh, and every track on it is is a killer. There's there's no filler, and then. They bought out the expanded version a few years ago with some extra tracks and they were all great as well. It was just like, God. And you just think of the studio stuff they had then. They, I think they weren't even really using proper instruments. They were using tape loops and they, they had a bass guitar and a lot of the percussion was made of buckets and dustbins and stuff like that. And obviously it's early sampling. It's you know a very good example of using flown in spoken word and songs from and vocals from other records um, so it obviously appeals on that and it, but more than anything else it's a collage record and it's it's the way I make music and when I listen to it I can hear all the little bits and pieces put together and the little loops and stuff and it's just beautiful to me it's just a very very big influence on my record let's hear a bit of Eno and Burn now um, I'll tell you what we'll play we'll play Regimen
Okay, that was Regiment from uh, Brian Eno and David Burns, My Life in the Bush of Ghosts. Your next choice is Grace Jones, Slave to the Rhythm. Yeah, again, the whole album, really, because that record, that single, Slave to the Rhythm, that most people probably knew, grew out of a whole album. They wanted to make a whole, I say they, it's Trevor Horn and the, um, his Art of Noise team at St. Thomas on Records, who I'm a massive fan of and collector of. Um, they wanted to make a whole Grace Jones album, but they really only had one song, and they managed to stretch it into a whole album, you know, re-re-re-version. It's not remixes, really, but they show off the sampler to a ridiculous extent on there. They've got Trouble Funk percussionists playing on there. They've got the best studio musicians. They've got the best production. They've just got... Oh, it's just amazing. And her voice, her performance is just brilliant. That And it's pure pop. It's... It's intelligent pop though, it's, it's when pop was interesting and took risks and for me it's definitely Trevor Horn's peak in terms of production, you know, it's a very complete record, it's, he's at the top of his game there, he knows exactly what he's doing and he's pushing someone like Grace Jones who is very experimental in her own right out even further and twisting and taking her voice and twisting it and oh, it's just fantastic. Let's play some of that now. This is a Slave to the Rhythm by Grace Jones. To the really good favourite, a big favourite of my wife as well and I remember getting the first, uh, well it was the second actually, Boards of Canada EP, the first one on Scam Records which was just the blue Boards of Canada EP, high school of musical, and that's the final track and that is just sublime, I mean it's just a killer piece of music that you know they've got melodies that are as simple as craft work but they're coming from a completely different place and I like that very old analog uh, feel to everything they do. I don't know what they put their synths and samples and beats through, but it's just fantastic. Well, let's hear a piece of that beautiful record now. This is Boards of Canada with Everything You Do Is A Balloon.
that was the last of Kev's choices. Uh, hopefully that's given you a bit more of a window into, uh, into his musical background. Uh, I mean, it's impossible to do five, really. The big five is it's impossible. Well, I'm going to ask you for a sixth now, if, oh, you, really? got, if, if you can choose something <laughs> oh. brand new. Brand new. That, that's doing it for you. Literally last week, the new Old Plug album, Back on Time, Luke Vibert from 1997 in his plug guys, the drum and bass guys. Suddenly, this dat turned up at Ninja of all this stuff that he'd had in his drawer or whatever, you know, for all the, oh yeah, I've got all these old plug tunes that never came out. And in, you know, 10 tracks, flawless again. Some of them better than the stuff he released in the 90s. And you're just thinking, this stuff sat in a drawer for how long? Like 15 years nearly? It's crazy. You know, the, the guy is ridiculously talented and this there's a couple of tracks on it which are just ridiculous. I mean, there's one called Mind Bending and it starts off with this sort of low synth and it's like 115 BPM in a sort of six, eight waltz time and then kind of builds up and builds up and all of a sudden explodes into drum and bass seamlessly and all this acid stuff goes everywhere and it's just, you know, Luke Vibe, a lot of, lot of time and respect for Luke. He's got a great, you know, fellow sampler mentality. High time there's a proper sprinkling in his tune yes. <laughs> Who knows what else you can find. I think we should probably hit pause there. So yeah, thanks very okay, much for taking you. the time to have a chat. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we'll leave Darren to do his magic with that. Interesting podcast. We've just been listening to uh, the new plug track, Mind Bending, which is from the Back on Time album that Strictly Kev was just talking to us about. And that's out now on Ninja Tune. Uh, this brings us on to our regular look at some of the new releases that are coming out of the Ninja Tune family of labels. First up, it's Mercury Music Prize winner Speech to Bell with Studio Backpack Rap. This is the first single from her upcoming album, Freedom of Speech, which is coming out on Big Dada Records. Wanna hear me rap? Pick your brother high. It's all in this. 
Studio Backpack Rap from Speech Bell. Up next, it's a brand new signing. This is Deco Child with a single Prey out now on Ninja Tune. That was Prey by Deco Child, out now on Ninja Tune. Wiley is coming up next with the single Boom Blast. It's taken from his new album, Evolve or Be Extinct, uh, which is out on Big Dada Records and is in the shots now. Boom Blast, raving the dance to the dance sun, ladies playing with my heart like wow. Got a warm heart in my chest, but how? When I flow cold, North Pole not south. Peace, love in my heart, it's been a while now. Here's three words, hold it down. So right now, I am gonna hold it down. Da-da down, 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 da da down The whole crowd singing aloud when I'm around The fans know a dollar, a euro or a pound It's all sound, checking my new bombs All grey like a hound, I live in a small town Got a place in the city when I roll through And I wanna roll through now I give you that feeling Make you wanna rave it out and then touch that ceiling We got four hours to go and no, you're not dreaming Rave to the party's done cause that's what we believe in yeah, That's what we believe in Yeah if we give you the feeling that makes you wanna go and touch the ceiling, then let's get down. Let's get down. If we give you the feeling that makes you wanna go and touch the ceiling, then let's get down. Let's get down. That was Wiley with Boom Blast on Big Dada. Next we have Emika, who featured on a previous podcast. Uh, this is her next single, Three Hours, which is coming up on Ninja Tune.
Emeka with three hours. Uh, finally, it's another new signing, this time from Brainfeeder Records. This is Lapalux with a track called When You Are Gone from the EP Moments Featuring PY. I keep moments of you, moments of you, with moments featuring TY on Brainfeeder Records and I'm afraid that is the end of this episode all that remains is for me to thank you for downloading it listening to it sticking with it I hope you enjoyed it uh, DK has been uh, twiddling the knobs on this one as usual so thanks very much to him for his immense production skill uh, so yeah cheers cheers